Thanks, John. Let's pray. We, uh, we usually use that at the back of your bulletin, that Exploring Prayer 2023, our week's prayer, so we'll incorporate that like we normally do. Let's, let's go to this great God, our Heavenly Father, in prayer. Lord, it is good to be with you here this morning. We stand here, we sit here in awe and wonder and reverence. Why us? Why us? Thank you. Thank you for the plan of great and significant rescue for us, great cost to you, your son. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit prompting us, encouraging us, drawing us near you, this throne of grace where we can indeed find help in time of need. And so we come to you asking, Lord, we want your word, we want your gospel of grace to go forth boldly in this area, in this state, in this country, around this world. That is your desire as well. So, Lord, we want to come alongside you in that and partner. Lord, lead us and guide us, especially in the area of church planting. We're excited about this, even at a local level, at a domestic level, but also internationally. We've spent awesome time with Horace and Frida the last couple of years, and now they're in Athens, Greece, looking to plant a church, working on that. And Lord, we want more folks to be raised up for international church planting, because that's how your word goes forth through the weekly ministering with the corporate congregation there, confessing, praising, and finding help in our time of need. So, Lord, thank you for that. Many here are fathers, and we praise you for that. Um, some here have had difficult fathers, maybe no fathers. Some have wanted to be fathers. Some have had children die. But Lord, in all of that, you are our heavenly Father, and so we are thankful, and we praise you. That does not diminish the pain that we feel in some of these situations that may be the stories of our lives, but we, one more time this morning, give them to you. We pray that you would heal us, you would grow us, you would encourage us and change us. And we pray this for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, again, happy Father's Day to you. I really do hope you have a great day today. And I know that some of you, like we just prayed, some of you are fathers, some of you long to be fathers, and some of you had dads that you admire, and some uh, maybe you are longing for that father that you never had, that you wish you had. Well, there is a perfect father. We've 
talked about him, read about him, sung about him this morning. Uh, this is the one who fills our longings and more. Uh, he is who I would like to talk about this morning. So in doing so, there are two different groups of you that I would like to humbly address. The first group of people, maybe you do not have a heavenly Father. If that's you, I'd like to introduce you to the only awesome and perfect Father ever. I want to invite you to his family, my family. Don't immediately reject that because you would be in my family. However, I would like for you to be my brother or sister in Christ. And you being in God's family is possible. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to the most gracious and merciful, the most merciful and faithful, loving Father ever. ever. And I know him. I do. That, that's an astounding statement. And I desperately want you to know him as well. The second group of people that I want to talk to this morning is those of you who have a heavenly Father. If you're in God's family, you are no doubt in varying degrees of knowing him, of enjoying him, of having freedom in him, of understanding and basking in his deep love for you. Cards on the table, I'm addressing you this morning, every one of you, one way or another. So no matter how good or bad your earthly father was or is truly, no matter, your heavenly father is good and better than your earthly father. Your heavenly father is great and he is everything that you need. I'm gonna connect some dots here. They make an important picture and I wanna do that before I read this scripture in Hebrews chapter two. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of the Heavenly Father. And there's a Holy Spirit involved, the Trinity. You've heard the term, no doubt. But the Spirit seeks to glorify, to make much of the Son, Jesus. And Jesus seeks to glorify, to make much of the Father, His Father. And the Father is pumped about who He is. One substance, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. It's complicated, but it's important. And I believe it's well worth your time to track with me for this short journey that we're on this morning. One of Jesus's goals, his tasks, who he is, is to provide children for God the Father. So Jesus created these children for the Father, and these children, when they rejected the Father, Jesus was fully willing to save God's children. Save, I know, is a big word, and we're going to talk about that. So, But for now, I want you to know that all Jesus did, all Jesus went through, he did for his Father. And what his Father wanted in all that was you. Maybe you've had a longing for a different type of family situation. Maybe you need deliverance from something this morning. Jesus is the one who will fulfill those needs and that longing that you have. The writer, the preacher here in Hebrews, this book that we have is writing. He's speaking originally to Jewish Christians outside Palestine, probably in Italy in the mid-60s AD. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, help us. We want to see you. We want to know you. We bow our hearts before you now. Draw us to yourself in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The overarching concept of our text today is salvation. But since it's a concept that has lots of nuance and a term really that can be misunderstood, let's break it down. I have just one point for you today. However, it is back and forth. It's got that dynamic and there are some sub points. So I just want uh, to be very clear and set your sights and expectations on that. The point we'll consider this morning from this text in Hebrews 2, we will look at what we need and how Jesus fulfilled or fulfills that need. So the four subpoints are we need deliverance, we need a new family, we need a faithful high priest, and we need a merciful high priest. First, we need deliverance. We need salvation. It's the biblical and the theological term, but I mentioned that it has some baggage with it at times and maybe even some mistaken connotations. So we'll use the word deliverance. That also checks all of the box as well, and it shows up in our text in verse 15. So who and or what do we need to be delivered from? There are three, death, the devil, and slavery. Verses 14 and 15, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, no matter if you have a heavenly father, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. Uh, when, when Jesus came to earth, that's what we call his incarnation. So he became man, he took on flesh and blood. 
that through death, that's a, sorry, I'm stopping all the time. Big part of the Christian life is that Jesus died on the cross. And I imagine you've heard that, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So on the cross in Christ Jesus's death, he actually destroyed the power of death and bound the devil. Then verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So outside of Jesus, you are enslaved. Ultimately, that's the ongoing, though weakened, power of the devil and, and the fall of Adam and Eve, bringing sin into the world. That original sin, which is now our disposition without Jesus, it's bondage, it's slavery. And we obey that master no matter what without the Holy Spirit at work in us. Anyone in slavery wants deliverance. We are desperate for deliverance. But sometimes what holds the power over us can sometimes be deceptively appealing, right? For a time even. So I have a particularly addictive personality. I cannot speak for everyone, but I've talked to a lot of people, uh, and I know that I'm not alone in this. And even if you don't tend to feel like you struggle with specific addictions, it does not mean that you'll never find yourself addicted or falling into idolatry or slavery that we're talking about. I think we all are in this camp in some way, shape, or form. It's the longing of our hearts. We were actually created to worship to give affection, reverence, focus, our very lives. Originally, as God created us, our object of worship was to be him. But now with sin, we've lost that focus, but we still want to worship. So we worship at times pride, or maybe we worship power or the idea of control. We worship relationships that they'll bring us fulfillment. Maybe we worship work or money or pleasure. Maybe you think of spirituality. Maybe that that is ultimate wisdom, uh, the hope of maybe immortality. That list that I just read actually came from Dan Allender and Trimper Longman in their book, Breaking the Idols of Your Heart. They realize, and I agree, that we want to worship. But what we long for can be our master. So we need to be delivered from all the wrong things, even the ones that seem good, even for a time, that can destroy us if we give ourselves to those things instead of our better and faithful high priest. All right, now, there is deliverance in this text, but there's also a caution So first it says that there will be judgment. Verse two, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So that is punishment for a crime. And if a transgression or a disobedience is deemed to be a crime or a sin or a wrong, in this case, the judgment comes from the Father. Verse three continues. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So we're getting to it. There's salvation, there's deliverance for sin, for wrong, for disobedience and transgressions. The caution to us is that there will be judgment. The caution to some of us is that there will be no escape if we neglect Jesus, who he is and what he's done. If you do not have a heavenly father, if you do not know him, he does not know you, then you will experience judgment. You'll be found lacking. There's another caution here. If you claim to have a heavenly father, Beware of drifting away. Verse 1, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The writer is talking about salvation, about 
deliverance. How close attention would you say that you're paying uh, to your relationship with Jesus? How close are you to maybe drifting, neglecting your deliverance? I used to road bike a ton through middle school, high school, college, and even though I'm not an avid road cyclist anymore, I put myself in those shoes daily as I watch more and more distracted drivers on their phones, watching their in-infotainment. It is not safe to ride on the roads around Greenville without dedicated bike lanes, and we have like less than 1% of those. I had a friend in Seneca, he was a ruling elder at a PCA church, Mike Lee. He was killed on his bike a few years ago by a distracted driver, left wife and kids. I don't know, and I will, I don't want you distracted uh, in your driving, because you really could. I mean, you could easily kill someone, but it is so much more dangerous for you to be distracted in your faith, forgetting about your deliverance and the ongoing work of your Savior, Jesus Christ, dismissive of the relationship your heavenly Father was and is determined to have with you. This text should be a wake-up call to all of us. I need to wake up too. This is serious, and more could certainly be said, but let's see if there's a way out. This is the back and forth. Is there a way Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for deliverance? There's a hope here in this text for deliverance. Christ's deliverance was pre-announced. Look at verse two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, verse three in the middle, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse four, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. From the Old Testament to Jesus in person and the gospels showing this about on every page, so does the book of Acts. The Trinity is clearly seen to be at work in this deliverance. A second way that Jesus fulfilled our need and our heavenly Father's need for deliverance is that Jesus earned propitiation. It means deliverance for you and for me. Propitiation is the turning away of God's wrath over sin. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. This is why it's so important, and I always talk about it, I know, his life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's his perfect life. That's what earned him the right as a perfect, sinless man to die for our sins. If he did not live a perfect life, his death would not have done anything for us. Just like if you or me died, it would not merit any one deliverance. Then, as the end of verse 17 says, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Think about propitiation as hiding behind a metal wall in battle. Those bullets cannot touch you. Jesus is shielding us from God's wrath. Or maybe you're at the aquarium this summer. That shark cannot eat you with the glass separating you. I know moms are always concerned about that. Yep, maybe dads too, we'll see. But that, that tremendous weight, that power, that flow of water is held back by that glass and nobody's sure, right? Is it thick enough? I think it is. Jesus stands in our place when God poured out his wrath on our sins, all the sins of every single one of his children, past, present, and future. Jesus was our wall. He's what turned away. He's what deflected. He's what enabled 
us to remain unscathed by the wrath of God, but it did cost him his life. God's wrath killed his son. God's wrath over our sin killed Jesus. Spoiler alert, Jesus did not stay dead. No, he rose. And here's where the power for you and me comes for our deliverance. We see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Again, Jesus was in his big time. He's better than the angels. We looked at that last time when Andy uh, talked about Hebrews chapter 1. Now to Hebrews 2, verse 6, Christ's humiliation. We're going to see that from the text. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. The one who is over everything now is lower than the angels he created. What? Paul Miller, uh, he wrote A Praying Life. I think many of you probably have read that through our year of exploring, exploring prayer 2023. I encourage you to pick up another of his excellent books, J-Curve, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. Uh, if you're on Hoopla from the public library, give it a listen. But simply summarized, it's dying with Jesus. And in that death, it's moving beyond just revisiting and re-experiencing this daily painful death into a daily intentional descent of love, where in Christ, we lose control. We disappear. Mark Reed disappears. And Mark Reed, child of God, brother of Jesus, reappears. You may be familiar with Philippians 2. And in that, it says Jesus had rights. He was in the form of God, but he made a choice. He did not hold on to his rights to the detriment of God's will. In love, he descended. And that's what we do. It's still painful until we see the beauty of it. It takes a minute. Jesus had a right. He made a choice. And then we see Jesus' love. He took the form of a slave. And then his cost. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. Jesus' power in defeating death is what delivers us, delivers us from what would seek to kill us. So Paul Miller would say that we are now in the hinge of the, the J curve. This is like a J. You see the Jesus curve kind of thing like that. The J curve comes from the apostle Paul, uh, where the normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. So death is the, the downward movement, but then the upward movement brings, uh, brings forward this movement and we rise with Christ. Hebrews 2, quoting Psalm 8 into verse 7, shows Christ's exaltation after his humiliation. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Humiliation. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. There's his exaltation. Paul Miller has this motion with God's children rising with Jesus through the J-curve up in Christ-like power, in a widening perspective, and in the expansion of God's glory. So first point, longest, we need deliverance, and Jesus provides it. Secondly, we need a new family. Family. 
I don't have to go into all the stats, I don't think. Uh, you know that there really is no average, general, normal family any longer. It's not the 1950s. I don't even know if there was a normal, general one there. Uh, but there are a lot of different situations out there. Family, right? Holidays can generally be stressful. Studies show that there are a greater degree of depression and heightened anxiety when we get together in our families of origin. Why is that? I think there's a track record going on there, right? Generally, they know a ton about you. Uh, bridges have been burned. Advice has not been heeded. Uh, you are not them, and they are not you, and neither of you like one another's anything sometimes. <laughs> I think, too, that sometimes we can get casual uh, with our family, and we say things that we might not normally say to an outsider because they're family, right? Where are they, they going to go? Family, maybe you don't have kids. You wish you had different kids. Maybe you're a kid, a child, and you wish you had different parents. Family, there's generational trauma that finds its way down through our family trees. As was mentioned in the video, there's gonna be a Sunday AM elective on gener generational trauma in July. And this trauma, sometimes we have guilt, sometimes we have shame, it's tough. The issue is, is that we are sinful, so it's messy. And everyone uh, is to blame for something, honestly. What are we expecting? We need a new and better family. So is there a way in which Jesus fulfills this need that we have for a new family? Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, sons and daughters or children. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies, uh, that's the son working through the spirit. And those who are sanctified, that's God's kids, that's us. All who have, all have one source. So Jesus's action is the source of unity between God and his people. We are going to be whole and new and pure one day. Middle of verse 11. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Down to verse 13. Behold, I and the children God has given me. Down to verse 16. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. We got family all up in here, and it's new, and it's better, and it is radical. It's based on God's kids growing in their love and faith and hope. Did you catch who the family is made up of? God the Father, God the Son, and a bunch of brothers and sisters for God the Son to worship the Father together. The church, the body of Christ, is your new family Meet your new family. There are others, right? God has you, and he wants you in this family if you're not in this family. So answer the call of your heavenly father. My mom's sister, Marilyn, was one of my favorite people. I'm an only child. Uh, during elementary school, I lived a lot of hours away from my grandparents. So uh, Marilyn lived with her parents, she had Down syndrome. Every summer, I would spend at least two weeks with my grandparents and my Aunt Marilyn, some, some summers a lot more. Marilyn, in the world's eyes, had some challenging limitations, but Marilyn was a great family member to me, and I needed a good one. Marilyn was the first person I drove alone with after getting my driver's license in Pennsylvania. We went to Wendy's for a Frosty. Maybe I drove a teensy bit faster than I should have. Maybe I played music a teensy bit louder than I should have, but she would laugh and giggle the whole time. Marilyn had no choice but to rely on her earthly 
father and sometimes her earthly sister. And sometimes when I became her sole legal guardian, her only earthly nephew, me. Marilyn didn't seek to earn our love. She could, however, shout a loud, no, even after she stopped speaking when I was a teenager. But she kept that grin for me until her last days. I knew Marilyn loved me. Marilyn's love toward me was free and came to me simply because I was in her family. Like Marilyn, when it comes to the Father loving me, there's no boasting in my work. I have no righteousness that is my own. I am everything I am because of the union with Christ, his death and his resurrection. Mark Reed disappears, and in Christ, Mark Reed flourishes. First point, we need deliverance that Jesus provides. Second, we need a new family and Jesus provides her too. Thirdly, we need a faithful high priest to help us with temptation. Outside of Jesus with no heavenly father, what verse two tells us is that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's true. Because of indwelling sin, sin is now our natural disposition. We will always deal with temptation to sin. And the bad news is we're going to fail. It comes to us at every, from every angle. But not only that, outside of Jesus, we don't want Jesus. We don't want anything to do with him or his father or the spirit. That's what I found to be true through my 22, first 22 years of my life. I did not want God. I did not want Jesus. I wanted control of my life and my choices and my dreams. And near the end of those 22 years, the natural consequences of the control that I wanted, the choices that I demanded to be mine alone, the dreams I had for my life, they ended me up in jail and then expelled from college. James 1, started in verse 13, says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. No, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. We've talked about our need for deliverance. The three things the text brought out in that were death, the devil, slavery. Temptation is a casual way for Satan, for the devil to get us there to death. And that's what he wants. Don't, don't have any confusion about it. He wants you dead, not glorifying God. So if he cannot kill you, he will get you enslaved and constantly tempted and giving into that temptation. He wants you isolated. He wants you guilty. He wants you ashamed. If he cannot kill you, this for him is second choice. Mark, please tell me, is there a way in which Jesus fulfilled this need we have for a faithful high priest who will give us, help us with temptation? I'm so glad you asked. Yes, there is. Verse 14, Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So this is why, again, the incarnation of Jesus is so important. He really took on flesh and blood and became like us just without the indwelling sin. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps his new family. Wow, God has planned his deliverance from a very long time. 
Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted. Look at that. Are you kidding me? Jesus suffered when tempted. He did not sin, but it was for sure suffering for him to be tempted in the flesh and blood body that we have. He goes on. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is a faithful high priest because he lived as a human in flesh and blood and never once sinned. About 33 years, never sinned. Hebrews 4.14 says, we have a great high priest. Then 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. How are you tempted? It may not be the exact same way with the exact same situation, but Jesus has been tempted conceptually in the same way that you have. And he said no to those temptations so that he could be here now for us. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us. He's called the helper in scripture. And he's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. He's setting us apart for God, rooting out the sin that indwells us over the course of his life, our lives. And in that sanctification, he gives us a way out. He is helping us to say yes to Jesus more and more. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will not give us more than we can handle temptation-wise. It might seem like it is too much, but it's not. We are in a fight. You have to fight. You must go back to your new family. The church becomes a whole new family for us, a new team. We have to get to know one another better. So maybe you join a community group or a journey group. Maybe you just invite folks over to your home for a meal or jump in the backyard. Don't overthink it, but meet folks at a park, whatever, whatever you need to do to get to know this new family. They're on your team. This was God's plan all along to give you his spirit to indwell you from within. And his children will surround you without. Uh, Jesus enables us to draw near to the throne of grace for our help in time of need. With this new family, you have a new brother, Jesus, and a new father. It makes all the difference in the world, I promise. We need deliverance. We need a new family. We need a faithful high priest. And we have all that, but we also need a merciful high priest to help us with forgiveness Hebrews 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus is who we need. We need mercy because we deserve punishment for our sin. So is there a way in which Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for a merciful high priest to help us with forgiveness? Mercy is God not giving us the punishment that we deserve directly, but indirectly as he punishes his son Jesus on the cross, poured out his wrath on Jesus for the punishment of our sins. This propitiation that we've been talking about earlier, that wall is Jesus. We are safely behind it. Again, Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
So draw near to the throne of grace. Like we mentioned, we're about halfway through our 2023 uh, exploring prayer year. I hope you'll join us for one of the two remaining second Saturday spiritual retreats. There's one in July and one in August. Go through your prayer personality. Watch that video Andy made in the corresponding booklet. We're going to have prayer stations this fall, so stay tuned. Draw near to the throne of grace. I say this because you're not alone. I know you feel alone. I say this because I know that you don't think you have time for these offers. Give up a half a Saturday in the summer? Risk bawling my eyes out? No, thank you. I say this because you're in a fight with yourself, with indwelling sin, with the devil. Uh, Maybe with some specific slavery or bondage or something that you just cannot shake. This is important. And I know what you're feeling. You're feeling, I have no idea how I'm going to change. I know. You're not alone. Jesus is who you need. You need the merciful high priest. He's able to see you through your sin, your forgiveness. He's forgiven you. So he knows what you're dealing with and he cares and that's why he came. And I do, I know this because I need him. I need the gospel every day. In closing, I'm in the process of forgiveness with three different people right now. One was an old friend. I went to them in person to ask forgiveness for how I had wronged them. I knew a couple specific ways. I asked them for forgiveness from those specifically after a very long conversation in which I listened. It was clear that they felt like I had done more harm to them than I realized. I've been mulling this over for months now, asking the Lord to show me more about what they said and how they thought. He showed me the other two ways and I went to them, but he's not shown me these other areas yet. So I keep going to my merciful high priest, prayerfully waiting, listening, and trusting in his timing. One of the three people on my list uh, is no longer alive. It seems that the Lord keeps peeling back the layers of the onions of my heart on this one. And when I think I've forgiven them for what I perceived was wrong done to me, God brings something else up. And it's been through a series of situations and I've had to dive back into this spiritual ambiguity of my heart and wrestle through uh, what this person did when they were alive, and I'm forgiving them again, and I'm asking God to show me further how I was at fault, right? Because we're both sinful. He's showing me. It hurts. I'm thankful. The third person, we're not reconciled. Nevertheless, I must forgive. I, I have no doubt hurt them. It's tangled. It's very tangled, but I'm sensing from the Lord that he has them. And then this J curve, right? In each of these relationships, I am dying the death of Jesus and rising with Christ. It's not one and done. It's a process I've been glad that he's led me in this process. Thanks for listening, y'all. You know what my Aunt Marilyn didn't have? She didn't have any care about what people thought about her. Woo! What would that be like? Wow, that's freedom right there. She knew if you weren't kind, and she would tell you if you were in a bad mood, and she also knew who to actively trust. Marilyn was perceptive. And I think Marilyn had a hunch that this life was not all that there is. I learned that from Marilyn. Marilyn's also helped me make this Apostle Paul's words ring true in my life. I leave you with this, Philippians 3, 9 to 10. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, to the only awesome, perfect, heavenly father 
forever. I want to invite you into his family, my family, but don't be immediately rejecting of that if, if, if you're, you know, a little bit hesitant to be in my family. I do want you to be my brother or sister in Christ, though. I do. So you being in God's family is possible. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to the most gracious and faithful and most merciful and loving Father ever. I know him, and I desperately want you to know him as well. Second people group that I'm talking to this morning are those of you who have a heavenly Father. If you're in this group, you you are part of God's family, and no doubt in this room, there's a varying degrees of knowing Him, of enjoying Him, of having freedom in Him, of uh, understanding and basking in His deep love of you. So cards on the table. I am addressing every single one of you one way or another here this morning. So no, no matter how good or bad your earthly father is or was, truly, no matter your heavenly father is good and better than your earthly father, your heavenly father is great and he is everything you need. One of Jesus' goals, his task, who he is, is to provide children for God the Father. So Jesus created these children for the Father, and when these children rejected the Father, Jesus was fully willing to save God's children. Save is a big word. We'll talk about it, but for now, I want you to know that all Jesus did, all he went through, he did for his Father. And what his Father wanted in all of that was you. Maybe you have a longing for a different family situation. Maybe you need deliverance from somewhere. Jesus is the one who will fulfill those needs and that longing. The writer, the preacher here in Hebrews, this book that we have is writing, speaking originally to Jewish Christians outside of Palestine, probably in Italy in the mid-60s AD. This is Hebrews 2, 1 through 18. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received its just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of these same things, that through death, 
He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, believe, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, help us. We want to see you. We want to know you. We bow our hearts before you now. Draw us to yourself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The overarching concept of this text this morning is salvation. But since that concept can have lots of nuance and the term can be misunderstood, let's, let's break it down. I have one point basically for you today, but it has a back and forth dynamic with some subpoints. So I just wanted you to have your set sight and expectations uh, moderate. Uh, the point that we are going to consider this morning from this text in Hebrews 2, we're going to look at what we need and how Jesus fulfilled and or fulfills that need. The four subpoints are we need deliverance, we need a new family, we need a faithful high priest, we need a merciful high priest. So first, we need deliverance. We need salvation. It's the biblical, the theological term, but I mentioned it because it has some baggage with it at times and maybe even some mistaken connotation. So we're going to use the word deliverance. It also checks those boxes as well and also shows up in our text in verse 15. So who and or what do we need to be delivered from? There are three, death, the devil, and slavery. Verses 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, no matter if you have a heavenly father, God, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. So when Jesus came to earth, we call that his incarnation. He became man, he took on flesh and blood. That through death, Again, I'm stopping, but a big part of the Christian faith is that Jesus died on a cross. Imagine you've heard that. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So on the cross, in Christ Jesus' death, he actually destroyed the power of death and bound the devil. So there in verse 15, he says, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So outside of Jesus, you are enslaved. Ultimately, that is the ongoing, it's the weakened power of the devil with the fall of Adam and Eve, bringing sin into the world. That's original sin. That's our disposition now without Jesus. It's bondage. It's slavery. We obey that master, that sin without the Holy Spirit at work on us. Anyone in slavery wants deliverance, is desperate for deliverance, but sometimes what holds power over us can sometimes be deceptively appealing for a time. I have a particularly addictive personality. I can't speak for everyone, but I've talked to a lot of people, uh, and I'm not alone in this. And even if you don't tend to feel like you have a struggle with specific addictions, it doesn't mean that you'll never find yourself addicted or in idolatry or slavery that we're talking about. I think we all fall into this camp to one degree or another. It's a longing of our hearts. We were actually created to worship, to give affection, reverence, focus our very lives. Originally, God created us, and our object 
was to, of worship was to be him. But now with sin, we've lost our focus, but we still want to worship. So we may worship pride or power, the idea of control. We may worship relationships that they'll bring us fulfillment. Maybe you worship work or money or pleasure. Maybe you think wisdom or spirituality are the ultimate, or maybe hope for immortality. We want to worship, but what we long for can be our master. Uh, We need to be delivered from all the wrong things, even the ones that seem good, that can destroy us if we give ourselves to these things instead of our better and perfect Father. Now, there is deliverance here, but there's also a caution. It's in the text. First, it says that there will be judgment. Verse 2, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. That's punishment for a crime. And if and if it's a transgression, disobedience is deemed to be a crime or wrong or a sin. The case, in that case, the judgment will come from the Father, from God. Verse 3 continues. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Right? We're getting to it. There is salvation. There's going to be deliverance for sin, for wrong, for disobedience. But there's also a caution. And we said that that was going to be judgment. The caution to some of us will be that there will be no escape if we neglect Jesus, who he is, what he's done. If you do not have a heavenly father, if you don't know him, he doesn't know you, then you will experience judgment and you will be found lacking. There's another caution here. If you claim to have a heavenly father, beware of drifting away. Verse one, therefore we must play much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. The writer is talking about salvation, about deliverance, How close attention would you say that you're paying to your relationship with Jesus? How close are you to drifting, maybe neglecting your deliverance? I used to road bike a ton through middle school, high school, and college. Even though I'm not an avid road cyclist any longer, I put myself in those shoes daily, and I watch, and more and more people are distracted in their driving with their phones, with their in-dash infotainment. It's not safe to ride on the roads anymore. I had a friend in Seneca. He was a ruling elder at PCA church there, Mike Lee. He was killed a few years ago uh, by a distracted bike uh, driver. He was on a bike. Uh, left a wife and kids. I don't want you distracted in your driving. You could easily kill someone, but it is so much more dangerous to be distracted in your faith, forgetting about your deliverance, the ongoing work of your Savior, Jesus Christ, dismissive maybe of the relationship your heavenly Father was and is determined to have with you. The text should be a wake-up call to all of us. I need a wake-up too. This is serious. More could be said, but let's see if there's a way out. Is there a way Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for deliverance? There's hope here in this text for true deliverance. Christ's deliverance was pre-announced. That's in verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, verse 3 in the middle, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. From the Old Testament to Jesus in person and in the Gospels, showing us this on every single page, so does the book of Acts. The Trinity is clearly seen to be at work 
in deliverance. A second way that Jesus fulfilled our need uh, and our Heavenly Father's need for deliverance is that Jesus earned propitiation. It means deliverance for you. Propitiation is the turning away of God's wrath over sin. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. This is why it's so important to talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His perfect life is what earned him the right as a perfect sinless man to die for our sins. If he did not live a perfect life, his death would not have done anything for us. Just like if you or me died, it would not merit anyone deliverance. Then, at the end of verse 17, it says, to make propitiations for the sins of the people. Think about propitiation as hiding behind a metal wall in a, in a battle. Those bullets cannot touch you. Jesus is shielding us from God's wrath. Or maybe you're at an aquarium this summer, right? That shark cannot eat you with the glass separating you, right? The glass holds back this tremendous weight, power, flow of water and natural predators, too. Jesus stands in our place. And when God poured out his wrath over our sins, all the sins of every single one of his children, past, present, and future, Jesus was our wall. He turned away. He deflected. He enabled us to remain unscathed by the wrath of God. But it did cost him his life. God's wrath killed his son. God's wrath over our sin killed Jesus. Spoiler alert, he did not stay dead. He rose. And here's where the power for you and me comes for our deliverance. Paul Miller, uh, he wrote Praying Life. Many of you have read that during our Exploring Prayer Year 2023. If you like that, I would encourage you to pick up another one of his excellent books, J-Curve, uh, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. If you're on Hoopla, uh, and you're from the public library, give it a listen. But simply summarized, it's dying with Jesus. And in that death, it's moving beyond just revisiting and re-experiencing a daily painful death into a daily intentional descent of love. So in this, in Christ, we lose control. We disappear, right? Mark Reed disappears. And Mark Reed, child of God, brother of Jesus, appears, you may be familiar with Philippians 2. Jesus had rights. He was in the form of God, but he made a choice. He did not hold on to his rights to the detriment of God's will. And in love, he descended, and that's what we do. It's still painful until we see the beauty of it. Jesus had a right. He made a choice. And then we see Jesus's love. He took the form of a slave, a servant, and then his cost, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Paul Miller would say that we are now in that hinge of the J curve. Uh, if you're looking at me, right, the J looks like Jesus J, uh, J curve. So it's the, comes from the Apostle Paul. It's just the normal Christian life repeatedly in reenacting the death and rising of Jesus. Death is that downward movement, but then the upward movement begins and we rise with Christ. Hebrews 2, quoting Psalm 8, end of verse 7, shows Christ's exaltation after humiliation. You have crowned him with glory and honor 
putting everything in subjection to his feet. Jump down to verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. That's his humiliation. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. His exaltation. Paul Miller has this motion with God's children rising with Jesus through the J-curve up in Christ's power in a widening perspective with more of God's glory being seen and known. So first point, we need deliverance and Jesus provides it. And secondly, we need a new family. Family. I don't have to go into all the stats, I know. Uh, there's really no average, general, normal uh, family any longer. This isn't the 1950s. And even then, I don't know that there really was a normal family. There are a lot of different situations out there. Family, right? Holidays, they can be so stressful. Studies show that we are in general uh, higher degrees of maybe depression or heightened anxiety uh, when we get together with our families of origin. Why is that? I think our track record a little bit. They generally know a ton about us. Bridges have been burned. Advice have, has not been heeded, right? You're not them and they are not you, and neither of you like one another's anything, you know, sometimes. I think, too, that sometimes we can get casual with our family. We say things that we might not normally say to a regular old outsider, because it's family. Where are they going to go? The issue is that we're sinful, so it's messy, and everyone is to blame uh, for something. Honestly, what were we expecting? So we need a new and better family. Is there a way in which Jesus fulfills this need that we have for a new family. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies, uh, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers, down to verse 13. Behold, I and the children God has given me, down to 16. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. We got family all up in here, and it's new, and it's better, and it's radical, and it's based on God's kids growing in their love, in their faith, and in their hope. Uh, did you catch who this family is made up of? God the Father. God the Son, and a whole bunch of brothers and sisters for God the Son to worship the Father together. The church, the body of Christ, is your new family. So meet your new family. Brothers and sisters, this could be your future brothers and sisters in Christ. My mom's sister, Marilyn, was one of my favorite people. I was an only child, and during elementary school, I lived a lot of hours from my grandparents. But Marilyn lived with her parents. She had Down syndrome. Every summer, I would spend at least two weeks with my grandparents and my aunt, and some summers a lot more, even throughout the year. But Marilyn, in the world's eyes, had some challenges, some challenging limitations. But Marilyn was a great family member to me, and I needed a good one. Marilyn was the first person I drove uh, around with after I got my driver's license in Pennsylvania. We went to Wendy's for a Frosty. Uh, maybe I drove a teensy bit faster than I should have. Maybe I played the music a teensy bit louder than I should have. But she would laugh and she would giggle the whole time. Marilyn had no choice but to rely upon her earthly father and sometimes her earthly sister. And sometimes when I became her sole legal guardian, her only earthly nephew. 
Marilyn didn't seek to earn our love, but <laughs> she could still shout a loud no, even after she stopped speaking when I was a teenager. So she, she was there. She kept that grin for me until her last days. I know Marilyn loved me, and Marilyn's love for me was free. It came to me simply because I was in her family. Like Marilyn, when it comes to the Father loving me, there is no boasting in my own work. I have no righteousness that is my own. I'm everything I am because of my union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Mark Reed disappears, and I in Christ flourish. First point, we need deliverance that Jesus provides. Second, we need a new family, and Jesus provides her too. Thirdly, we need a faithful high priest to help us with temptation. Outside of Jesus, with no heavenly father, what verse 2 tells us that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's true because of indwelling sin. Sin is now our natural disposition. We will always deal with temptation to sin. The bad news is we fail. Through the first 22 years of my life, I did not want God. I did not want Jesus. I wanted control of my life and my choices and my dreams. Near the end of those 22 years, the natural consequences of all of those choices and dreams and that I wanted, that I demanded, the dreams I had for life ended me up in jail and then expelled from college. James 1, starting in verse 13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. We've talked about our need for deliverance. The three things our text brought out were our need for deliverance from death, from the devil, and from slavery. Temptation is a casual way for Satan casual way for the devil, to get us there to death. That's what he wants. Don't have any confusion about that, right? Jesus wants, I mean, uh, the devil wants us dead. He wants us not glorifying God. If he cannot kill you, he will get you enslaved to something, constantly tempted, giving in to that temptation. He wants you isolated. He wants you guilty. He wants you ashamed. If he cannot kill you, this is a great second choice for him. So Mark, please tell me, is there a way in which Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for a faithful high priest who will help us with temptation? I'm so glad you asked. There is, yes. Verse 14, Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps his new family. And wow, God has planned our deliverance from a very long time ago. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is a faithful high priest because he lived as a human in flesh and blood and never once sinned. 33 years, never sinned. Now Hebrews 4, a couple pages over, verse 14 says, we have a great high priest. Then verse 15 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. How are you tempted? It may not be the exact same way, the same situation, but Jesus has been tempted conceptually in the same way that you have. And he said no to those temptations so that he could be here now for us. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us. He's called the helper in scripture. And he, he's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. He's setting us apart for God, rooting out the sin that indwells in us over the course of our lives. And in that sanctification, he gives us a way out. He is helping us to say yes to Jesus more and more and more. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, to men or women. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. God will not give us more than we can handle temptation wise, right? It might seem like it's too much, but it's not. But we're in a fight. You have a fight. You must go back to your new family. Join a community group, join a journey group, invite folks over to your home, hang out in the backyard, go to a park, something, just get to know your new family. We need deliverance, we need a new family, we need a faithful high priest, and we have all of that, but we also finally need a merciful high priest to help us with forgiveness. Hebrews 2 verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus is who we need. We need mercy because of the punishment that we deserve for our sin. So is there a way which Jesus fulfilled this need that we have for a merciful high priest who will help us with forgiveness? Yes, mercy is God not giving us punishment directly but indirectly as he punished his son Jesus on the cross. He poured out that wrath on Jesus, the punishment for our sins, that propitiation that we were talking about earlier. Again, Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace. We're halfway through our 2020 three year of exploring prayer. I hope you will join us for one of the two remaining second Saturday spiritual retreats, one in July, one in August. Go through your prayer personality. Watch the video Andy made and the corresponding booklet that we have. We're gonna have prayer stations in the fall, so stay tuned. Draw near to the throne of grace. I say this because you're not alone. I know you feel alone, I say this because I know you don't think you have time for these offers to give up half a Saturday to risk bawling your eyes out. No, thank you, right? I say this because you're in a fight with yourself, with indwelling sin, with the devil, maybe some specific slavery, bondage, indwelling sin that you just cannot shake. So I say this is important, what we're talking about. Maybe you have no idea how you're gonna change. I get that, I totally get that. You're not alone. Jesus is who you need. He is the merciful high priest. He's able to see you through your sin to forgiveness. He's forgiven you. He knows what you're dealing with. That's why he came. 
And I know because I still need him in the gospel every single day. There's three people, three different people that I'm in process of forgiveness with right now. One was an old friend. I went to them in person and to ask them forgiveness for how I had wronged them. And I knew a couple specific ways. And I asked forgiveness for those specifically. And after a very long conversation in which I listened, it was very clear uh, that they felt that I had done far more harm than, to them than I had realized. I've been mulling this over for, for months, asking the Lord to show me more about what they said, what I had done. Uh, he showed me clearly the other two ways that I went to them about, but he hasn't quite shown me this. So I just keep going to my merciful high priest, prayerfully waiting and listening and trusting in his timing. Uh, one, of, one of the three people on my list is no longer alive. Uh, it seemed that the Lord keeps peeling back the onion of my heart, those layers one by one. When I think I've forgiven them uh, and for what I perceived was done wrong to me, God brings something else up. It's been through a series of situations, events, and I've had to dive back into that prayerful ambiguity of my heart and wrestle through what this person did to me when they were alive and forgiving them again and asking God to show me further how I was at fault, right? Because we're both sinful. He's showing me it hurts. I'm thankful. The third person, we're not reconciled. Nevertheless, I must forgive. I have no doubt hurt them. It's tangled. It's very tangled, but I'm sensing from the Lord that he has them. It's that J-curve. In each of these relationships, I am dying the death of Jesus Christ and rising with Christ. It's not one and done. It's a process. It's daily. It's throughout the day. I've been glad he's led me through this process. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, you know, my Aunt Marilyn didn't have something. She didn't have any care about what people thought of her. Can you imagine that? That would be awesome. That would be freedom. She knew if you weren't kind, she knew if you were in a bad mood, but she also knew who she could actively trust. Marilyn was perceptive. And I think Marilyn also had a hunch that this life was not all that there is. Uh, I learned that from Marilyn. So Marilyn has helped me make a, the, the Apostle Paul's words ring true in my ears. So I'm gonna leave them with you from Philippians 3, 9 to 10. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.